Hello humans, welcome to another episode of Tending Trauma with me, your host, Thomas F. Weber. Today we are joined by Dr. Mary Krinobori. And she, uh, thank you, thank you for joining me today. It's such a pleasure to be here with you, Thomas. Thank you for having me. Could you um, give us an introduction uh, of who you are to, to my audience? Sure, absolutely. I'm Mary Cernobori. I'm currently the coordinator of trauma-informed schools for Metro Nashville Public Schools. And uh, I founded my, my trauma-informed schools team and really excited to be doing some really innovative work as well as uh, systems-wide systemic um, approach to preventing and mitigating trauma in my school district. Very cool. Very cool work. Yeah, I've... Um seen a couple of um, your your lecture, I watched your TED talk and, and um, one of your lectures on kind of like explaining the broad concepts, uh, you know, understanding like ACE scores and that kind of thing. Br really brilliant work, um, kind of integrating some of the, um, these like mental health concepts into a school-based um, environment. Yeah, well, I think it's so important that schools really step up to the plate and embrace this work um, fully to, to really bring the humanity back to education um, mm -hmm. that I feel has been lost over the last um, two and a half decades or so since the mid-90s and uh, high-stakes testing and zero tolerance, those kind of approaches came in yeah. and um, diminished, uh, you know, educators' abilities to really have the spaciousness and the time in the school day to be present and emotionally attuned to kids' needs because they're so caught up in, you know, doing the job that they're tasked with doing. Uh, and, you know, the very reasons that educators went into teaching and, and the very things that kids need from school most, which is these, like, relationship-rich, connected environments, um, not that that's not there anymore. It's mm. just that we're really, really off balance, I, I think. Yeah. And yeah, I would agree completely. Yeah. And, it, and, and then it, also, of course, like we spend the majority of time with kids. They spend so many hours with us that mm. what better place, you know, to do this work. Yeah, it, it, it does seem kind of like you're, you're facing this like kind of cultural norm of high stress um, environments to like, you know, I guess stress to encourage kids to study well and do well in school. And, and I can only imagine that must be kind of like a culture shock, but also maybe a relief to some of the educators you're helping. Yeah, very much so. Uh, exactly what you said. Um, you know, some stress is good, right? Like not all stress yeah, is bad, yeah, but right. if be, you know, we, we're in a high stress society. And so, of course, our schools become high-stress environments, but as long as we can, um, you know, add a healthy dose of compassion mm -hmm. alongside that stress to, to sort of counterbalance and optimize, you know, uh, the stress that is there to help, help use it for kids to succeed. But you're yeah. exactly right that educators tend to view this work as, as pretty validating in many ways, but and, and tremendously needed. Yeah, where do you, I, I'm just kind of curious, like big picture, like where have you seen some of the most like 
challenging resistance? I think the resistance comes far less from, you know, lack of desire to do this work. The resistance comes more from like the brokenness of the system. Uh, and so the barriers, the, comp yeah. the competing demands and the um, being stretched so thin and right. this constant, like every year we have to do even more with even less. So I would say those are amongst the biggest barriers. Okay. So it's more like the conditions of the system. Like this work is about changing adult mindset, but yeah. it's not that adults don't necessarily want to shift their mindset. It's more that they're working within a system that's like, it's hard to do that. Huh. So it's, it sounds like, you know, maybe the, the science hasn't caught up with like how important stress reduction management tools are in like success, like being able to, you know, get into your stress window, you know, of, of like being in eustress rather than a distress as like a performative like booster. Um, and maybe there's still some catch up to do with that. Yeah, absolutely. We have the solid science to show <laughs> it, but that's not necessarily the science that's trickled down right. into mainstream practice. Like wow. now we have ACES science that is, mm -hmm. is becoming far more understood, but the the complexities of it, as you talked about with, you know, you stress and distress, um, that hasn't necessarily trickled down into mainstream practice and certainly not yet into policies yeah. um, that allow you know say our workforce to to um make those shifts yeah i mean and like the thing about science there's always you know you can use you can use data to tell the story you want right so true it's, it's wild we've here in my state you know there are a couple different bills up or set multiple bills up and we're finding that some different bills that are up to you know be voted upon and passed not passed they they counteract each other they um they counteract each other so like one bill is saying this this one is actually hypocritical to that one so i guess the point there is you know in my profession we're using science but are we using the most important science that's best for yeah. kids and yeah thinks. that makes a lot of sense yeah yeah i mean like what you're measuring why you're measuring it <laughs> can have so much different disparaging like results it's uh can be kind of overwhelming and then, you know social emotional outcomes um some of the you know the inner workings of the human psyche including yeah. emotions but not limited to stress emotions like that that kind of stuff is harder to measure hmm. uh particularly when it comes to out outcomes you know if we're doing like prevention and mitigation work it's hard to measure, well, what would the outcome have been have, had we not done this work? Yeah. So, 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 yeah, some of these, um, you know, interventions and different things we're implementing, it's not that they're not extremely valuable and important or effective for that matter. It's just there, there's a little more complexity in the measurement. Yeah. And so some things, the rote, like, kind of black and white things like say an academic test score um, that actually may not have the best validity, but it's really easy to measure 
Mm. And so those things can dominate more. Yeah. I mean, I, a, a great example of that might be like when you just don't know, like the awareness is just so low that you don't notice that like there are like maybe children in a desperate situation because they haven't been engaged and like, you know, understood like what's really going on. And then you have like a, a, a maybe a program that starts engaging them and start like, you know, really rocketing numbers of, of like an increase in something. You might think that that's really negative, but it's like on the path to healing is just having awareness for what's going on. Behavior analyst by training. Hmm. Um, I don't use analysis necessarily in my day to day life, although, you know, it remains one tool in my toolbox. But um, mm-hmm. we have something called the extinction burst that's oh, okay. a like well proven behavioral phenomenon that behavior gets worse before it gets better. And that's actually a sign that huh. what you're doing is working. But I think your point is very well taken there. Sure. Um, that the, the path to the trajectory to healing is not necessarily um, a clear and straight path. Yeah. I mean, what, what you're, I, even what you're doing, you know, I've talked with people who work in um, just in like their personal practices, like, you know, just individual level. I've talked with people who have um, done like uh, work in executive um, cult, like cultures and like what you're doing, it, it really does seem like it's, kind of at the front edge of this cultural pioneering that needs to be done around like kind of developing a new um, respect for stress, respect for some of these like like A scores, you know, and stuff. And um, it seems like there is, uh, uh, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm just kind of curious, like you mentioned that there is some buy-in from the teachers, like is there, is it pretty seamless? Does it seem like it comes naturally or is there still like, you know, beyond the, the policy stuff that's still kind of obscuring things, is there still anything that's um, challenging within creating that culture? Um, I would say both and. So hmm. a couple of things, one thing I want to riff off of that you said first is, uh, you know, this kind of a newfound respect for stress, but this work, it's not just stress. So this work, it brings in, uh, respect for the the conditions mm. and the context yeah. in which, you know, of our society, right? But that kids live, go to school and play, or adults live, work and and you know play. I guess um, so. That so the second part of your question, that's like super validating for. Mm our workforce, you know, educators of all, you know, job positions, teachers and otherwise. Um, and a lot, it's, this work almost gives, to say teachers, permission to, ca- to care about uh-huh. their kids when we've been so caught up in, you know, kind of a numbers game where you have to, yeah. you know, check the things off the list, you know, to do your job effectively. And, right. you know, most teachers or educators went into this profession in the first place out of a love for children, but then the system, and I'm not, I'm not um, by any means criticizing my system that I work for, you know, my yeah. organization, yeah. My district, but like, I mean, it's fair in general, system. there is some problems, <laughs> there's problems right. with right. the system. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There are systemic issues across all mm. sectors, but mm. education is my craft and, you know, yeah. it's a but 
so much has gotten lost in that system. And so that very reminder of, okay, it's not just the evidence-based practice. This scientific study showed that this is going to work without any regard to the conditions in which yeah. it's implemented or the teacher who, you know, say their principal or their school district says, you know, if you don't get these test scores out of your class, then you're not going to get tenure or you're fired or whatever it is. Mm. Uh, you're going to get dinged without any regard whatsoever to the conditions that, that their students brought, bring into the classroom. You yeah. Know, a, the um, socioeconomic economic status or economic disadvantage rate or the, you know, backpacks of toxic stress. So yeah. that enhances buy-in a lot because again as human beings teachers know like intimately it's not just the quality of the teaching that's impacting those numbers mm -hmm. it's the conditions the conditions that their kids their students bring into the classroom the conditions that we all work in in an american public you know school yeah. and i just think that yeah, and with big data, which the whole data makes the world go around these days, data and science, but big data loses that um, that valuing, that respect and consideration for the conditions. And yeah. so that in and of itself, like when, when educators hear this work, the feedback I get so often is like, oh my gosh, you're the first person that has told the truth you know we're, we're truth tellers in this yeah world. wow so that that helps with buy-in i think yeah yeah i loved your graphic that had the like environmental home and then like um social factors yeah uh, and i have to give credit it. to um aces connection made that okay. particular graphic but in you know when we're thinking about the ace study mm -hmm. um you know, hopefully your listeners have heard of the ACE study or any talk about adverse childhood experiences and ACEs, that conversation has been grossly narrow because that's all just talking about what happens at the level of the individual. Hmm. Um, and unfortunately, nothing happens to the individual child or household yeah. in a vacuum. Um, everything yeah. happens, like we're interrelated, <laughs> we're deeply connected you know, human beings where what happens in our greater society or our local community or our immediate neighborhood or our school or our workplace, like that intimately affects what's going on in, in at the level of the individual. And so, yeah, that's why that graphic is so powerful because it also takes into account adverse community environments, right? Mm -hmm. So we can talk about things like, um, you know, maybe community violence, but perhaps most importantly, you know, our decades-long history of marginalization and minoritization and you know systemic racism and oppression of different groups um let alone of course the environmental piece um on you know climate change and other things that can happen in our greater society and collective traumas mm -hmm. yeah it's 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 pretty interesting like the, the possibilities, like when you, when you are training kids to be more communicative with their teachers and also maybe each other in like forming bonds and, and um, 
you know, com community networks that may be like the foundations of like, you know, maybe now we, we kind of have like less of that, maybe because of like what the schooling we went through was like kind of individuating, kind of competitive, um, not very communicative. And uh, I just wonder what um, that kind of thing would look like if, if there was more like open, honest communication, like bringing some of that stuff to the, the community to help help them resolve it. Yeah, I think it's a game changer. I mean, it's a game changer for the way we educate kids. It's a game changer for the way educators operate, but it's a game changer for our greater society too, because like, if we, if we have a, an, a problem that we wanna solve, we're never gonna solve it by brushing it under the rug and pretending it doesn't exist. And I think that that's what's happened in our society with all these complex problems for so long is, oh, pretend it's not there. We're just gonna keep on moving status quo and not acknowledging the real truth. And so that's one thing that the trauma work does is, is we start by acknowledging, you know, that toxic stress and trauma is real. And yeah. even just that, you know, getting out of the gates of acknowledging the truth, um, that requires deep processing for a lot, if not all, a lot of folks, if not all folks, <laughs> to first say, you know, understand we're just acknowledging the the truth we're not taking a deficit lens okay somebody's traumatized therefore they're less than it's not that it's first starting with that acknowledgement of the truth and um i just you know firmly believe and i think many share this belief that we'll never solve a problem until we have a reckoning of you know what's happened we've got to tell the truth about you know some of the the price prices that people have paid yeah so, I mean, speaking about that, speaking about like equity and, and justice, you know, fairness, um, how, how, I mean, like, it's interesting to think about like empowering communities, you know, empowering like these cultures to like try and start solving these problems for themselves. Like what sort of um, things that you put in place, put in motion, like help these like teachers and students to like start building equality, equity and fairness into their, um, into their yeah, lives. Yeah, again, I think it, it first starts with that acknowledgement of, um, you know, the opportunity gap, right? Yeah, first yeah. Starting with acknowledging this longstanding history of, you know, white privilege or opportunity gap where certain groups, namely, you know, white, white people had, had mm -hmm. far, far more opportunities. Not that they didn't work hard to get it, not the, you know, um, it wasn't deserved, but but there are very real inequities where other groups, those opportunities were withheld. And then um, really understanding this isn't just like, okay, well, may, you know, maybe some schools were superior and some were inferior, so there was an education opportunity gap. It's not limited to one sector. We've mm -hmm. got inequities in housing where there is lack of affordable housing, you know, um, in, in safe neighborhoods. We've got inequities in the medical sector. We've got inequities in every sector. And so again, first acknowledging, and, and now I'll relate this to, you know, just trauma, to take the trauma lens. Like say we've got an individual or a group of people who um, are, you know, struggling in somewhere or another, or um, 
didn't have the same opportunities, so they're not as far ahead as, uh, as other groups. Um, we're really shifting that lens from like, you know, what's wrong with you? What's different about you? Why couldn't you keep up? Why are you struggling in this? Why, why are you having these problems? It's shifting that lens. You know, this is just a classic trauma-informed lens, but instead understanding, you know, what happened to you? What were the conditions that um, led to this? And only then, once we acknowledge it, now we can pile on that empowerment piece. Yeah, And um, it's not just about you know giving some skill some kids skills that they didn't have because they didn't have skills it's not that deficit lens it's yeah helping support the same skills we all need to, mm. to thrive mm -hmm. and um again like again sort of that understanding and knowing that when our whole community is thriving we all thrive more wow. um, you know what's in the best interest of one group is in the best interest of all groups yeah have have you noticed like the um students or the the the, the teachers like feeling um like they can they can handle the being able to acknowledge it? i'm sure it could be uncomfortable but yeah I, a lot depends on um you know where someone is as far as processing through their own traumas you know because you know adults are not immune to this and we've got a, a world of adults that have their own unresolved stuff right so one individual yeah. reaction versus another a lot of that depends on where they are on doing sort of their own work but uh, to answer your question better by giving you an example so this yeah. is a couple of years back um there was a teacher and i had worked really closely with this one particular school who is our first trauma-informed pilot school and you know, I'd train their staff and, you know, worked in different capacities with different teachers. So um, I, it was after work hours, kind of in a social context with this, this one teacher from that building, uh, you know, a group of teachers, but she shared, you know, she said, you know, Mary, before, when I was teaching, before I learned about all this trauma-informed stuff that you're talking about, and before my principal, you know, really drove us to become a trauma-informed school, um, I came home from, this is elementary teacher, I came home from teaching every day, just exhausted, burned out, you know, after work, I couldn't do anything, and I was just, you know, burnout would be the word. Yeah. And now, fast forward to, you know, changing the way I, you know, go about my teaching role and I, I interact with kids in this more compassionate trauma-informed way, all trauma, you know, I treat all students, you know, we've got these connected relationships and yeah. I still come home from work every day, absolutely exhausted because teaching's really hard, but there's something totally different now. Now I feel like I'm making a difference in the lives of kids. Wow doing what I came here to do, you know, which is impact wow. kids. Whereas before I was exhausted also, but I didn't know if I was helping in any way, shape or form. Wow. So like I felt like that captured the distinction that you just asked about, you know? Yeah. No that Yeah, no, that sounds like it it may be challenging, but it's it's meaningful and um, may provide a lot of like value to people like I don't know, morally and ethically, like as they 
you know, feel like they've done something, you know, not just kept suppressing the, the truth. And that's just it is the, you know, it's not the experience itself, the adversity that causes trauma. It's very much the meaning we make of it. Like the difference between whether somebody develops symptoms of trauma or somebody becomes really resilient and empowered to like use that trauma still chemically, use that experience to, you know, do greater things. So the difference between trauma and resilience is the meaning we make of it. And so, yeah, I love that you use the word meaning there because it was so much more meaningful. And then the second difference between trauma and resilience is, you know, the presence or absence of like connection in our lives, in kids' lives, of course, connection with safe, stable, nurturing adults and just general relationships, but really our ability to be connected with ourselves and our own inner experience our uh, ability to be you know our connections with others and our connection with with the greater world around us so when we've got you know meaning making and connection that's when we're not only resilient but really flourish you know yeah 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 i mean you i remember you mentioned um like safety regulation and connection being like really important to, to develop in, in the, in the classroom. And, and I, I think there, yeah, like there's, there's definitely like an aspect of trauma that there is like this unsafe chaos, um, with alone and, and, uh, that can be so devastating, you know, like, um, I, um, work with like lots of people who have, who have had pasts where they didn't, they, they could have just had like one, mentor to give them a little bit of like stability um to be able to talk about the things they had going on to be able to understand about like um their stress their their emotions and and how to how to process through like whatever trial they're going through to to be able to have resilience instead of just being crippled by all this overwhelmed feelings that um, make it kind of hard to do anything about it you know um sometimes we can get so beaten down by life that we and certainly kids lose touch with that innate capacity for self-healing and um you know just healing like we as humans have like tremendous will to survive and heal right like we have that but when we're so beaten down by adversity Sometimes we lose sight of that and we just need that person, you know, that other person, that mentor, or that, that person that sees that shining light in us to remind us, like, you might be beaten down, but what I see in you is this tremendous potential. And maybe that's all it takes, that like hand up for you a know, kid to thrive. I, I'm, I'm really curious, you know, like this, this makes like some, I'm sure you hear this all the time, but it makes so much intuitive sense. It's like, oh man, like this is the truth. Like, oh, and this is, this is it. I'm curious, like in a, on a timeline, like how I know like a lot has happened in the last like 10 and 20 years. Like when has this been started to be implemented? Yeah. So of course, as you know, like, I almost feel like I want to back up 
<laughs> okay, yes, please do, please little do. Bit because we've been talking a little bit about, you know, buy-in or naysayers and yeah. intuitive adopters, right? Yeah. Like people like you and I are intuitive adopters. We sure. like humanitarian, like we should yeah. care about people because it's yeah. the right thing to do. And that's just how we're made and wired. Yeah. Like we're naturally that way. But there's a large part of the, you know, of our world that is really more capitalistic or consumer driven uh, or like sure. all about those numbers or yeah. they care about different things, which are generally the things that you can measure. So, you yeah. know, attachment science or uh, social work or the counseling type of fields, you know, this work Maslow, you know, produced his work in mm. what 68 or something like that. But like okay. this, this science, softer science, so to speak, yeah. has been yeah. around decades maybe 60s and way before like of course yeah before that as well but but we had this large percentage of people that basically didn't care they didn't want to hear <laughs> it like oh, okay. tell me that. Uh. so when i started teaching in the, around a little around 2000 you know i was like the warm fuzzy person in a building mm. with kids with significant emotional and behavioral need like that was the population i taught mm. and you know i'd be like we should be good to kids because it's the right thing to do. And there were so many teachers, that, you know, staff that were like, no, I got a job to do. They didn't want to listen. So the game changer with the ACE study, now I'm starting to get to your question, but the ACE study was published in 98, you know, okay. that yeah, brought yeah. the science, right? Like that brought uh, the hard science. So those who previously were like, I don't want to hear it, prove it. Well, the ACE study proved it, okay. right? But like you kind of alluded to before, when any new scientific finding is published and you know that lofty peer-reviewed literature that um, practitioners don't always have access to, generally it takes about 20 years or so for yeah. that scientific finding to trickle into practice. Mm -hmm. So we were kind of, um, education was you know in keeping with that, but you didn't start to see anything, much of anything about trauma-informed schools about 2009, 2010, something like that. And that was just because of the science, like the science wow. came. Um, but just in my, so I was trained in, you know, some different things. Uh, I have, you know, PhD and in, in a master's degree in special education. I'm a board certified behavior analyst. Like mm -hmm. those are all noble things. And I received mm -hmm. like super high quality training my whole um, background is working with kids with and at risk for emotional behavior disorders. So typical IQ, just struggling emotionally <laughs> or behaviorally. But in all of my schooling, despite the fact that I did get, you know, excellent education, nobody talked about trauma. Like nobody talked about trauma. Oh, wow. But I had seen it as a teacher. And of course I had my own, you know, yeah. life experiences of early childhood and different childhood trauma that you like, it was intuitive to me. Like I knew it was there, but we didn't have the trauma word. I didn't have the trauma word to label it until right around 2014, 2015 is when I learned this science. And it was a total game changer for me. Um, but that's about 2015 is when I brought this work, you know, to my district and said, hey, we need to be talking about this. And there were a couple people who were like, yes, we, I was fortunately among good people, nice. but most were like, it was, the vibe was more like, 
okay, Cernobori, we're going to let you do this, but yeah, right. This will just be the passing trend of the year. Like we're going to entertain you. Huh. And frankly, Thomas, the reason that, you know, I, I only got into the position I have and could really dedicate full time to this work because I wrote and got a, a grant to do the work. So I brought okay. money to the table and they're like, okay, yeah, we're going to, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> but um, it, you could see people still stood back with skepticism to see like, okay, this is going to be the passing thing. And then, you know, it gradually grew. Of course, you know, I kept bringing grant money, um, but my district put some skin in the game, you know, and they invested some of their own money because gradually over about four years or so, they saw how much, and you know, they, they know, because we know the conditions that our kids face. And this was really like the why behind some of the challenges that, that we were seeing in our schools and, you know, their kids and our families. Um, but not until COVID hit, like now that we have COVID and everyone has had some personal experience with feeling traumatized, like none of us were immune to that shock. Mm -hmm. And so now the, it's just, gone exponential as far as buy-in and yeah. I think people know this isn't going away this is the new um yeah this is a better normal yeah. for education going forward but we're just at those like beginning stages of um how to do it and I'm I'm like you said just like grateful to have been a pioneer you know because cool. we are pioneers in this work but I was like the early you know, amongst the earliest adopters. So like, I'm so grateful that I feel like I wrote, I um, wrote a little blog not long ago and uh, I titled it the canary in the coal mine mm -hmm. because the earlier state, we were kind of the canary in the coal mine some years ago for, you know, things like COVID and, and the um, newfound awareness of racial justice, which has always been there, but we've had a, a, an awakening. I call it a societal awakening to that. Yeah. So, yeah. It's yeah. Really I mean, like with, with society awakening to, to COVID, you know, it's like everyone's going through their own personal mental journeys, you know, as <laughs> they're being isolated and having to go through a year of <laughs> thinking to themselves, like there's like this new buy-in and it sounds like you're really busy um i'm just kind of curious like best case scenario like what would you like to see um that would be like empowering to you and your and your agenda yeah well one thing that we're um, that i'm really working hard on now is um we're calling them care centers but like a, a, mm -hmm. a space in every school where if kids are feeling overstimulated overstressed it could be emotional dysregulation it could manifest as you know um be in you know internalizing feelings or mm -hmm. externalizing kinds of behaviors but sometimes the classroom is just too much in this immediate moment not that the classroom's too much all the time but sometimes kids just need a minute you know yeah out. and so uh, <laughs> gosh that sounds so such like a good idea yeah like a calming room you know, but staffed by a caring yeah, adult some, some who they can get. Zen caring person able to. Yes, exactly, oh, exactly. Yeah. To help, 
you know, not to use fancy language, but to help co-regulate or help them self-regulate, but a person who can just be there to hear, hear them, you know, okay. you also alluded to this earlier, but um, uh, just being seen and heard, right? Like kids bring all kinds and families and our staff too, like they may have all kinds of problems outside of school. They don't, we, they don't necessarily need school to fix those problems for them, but they do need someone to, to care, right? Just feeling seen and heard and like this, there's empathy, right? Empathy and compassion. So, so a space, like a calming room um, that would be space to get that connection, to get that regulation, stress reduction, and then, you know, get your tail back to class and finish your work right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i mean you know like I, I i definitely see a paradigm shift you know away from like some of these like more like uh you know are your are your grades all good and and are you okay as a human being <laughs> right exactly because exactly. in the end like if you're not okay it doesn't matter how good you were at math so <laughs> Yeah. Employer, I mean, employers have said that yeah. now for for couple, sure. you know some decades. They're like, yeah. okay, schools, you're teaching them like the skills are mm-hmm. okay, or we can teach them the skills of how to do the job. What they're not bringing is the human skills, like right. that, the empathy. That- and and today in in the in the I, what I've seen in the shift is they 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 don't need as many punching punching you know, number crunching kind of people, they need collaboration, they need like innovation, and that takes vulnerability to reach out and connect with your fellow fellow person. Um, so I, I wanted to ask you, um, you mentioned that you, you kind of like maybe had a few thoughts about this, um, the connection between trauma and spirituality, do you know anything about that? Would you be willing to share your thoughts about yeah, very much so. So, and you know, in the school buildings, we're doing this in a very secular way that isn't tied to spirituality or religion, but um, spirituality is like a critical component of one's own wellness and self-care yeah. and our, um, yeah, our relationship with the world around us and that what's, that which is bigger than us, that which is greater than us, right? Um, but some of the the strategies involve connecting with your own inner world which i know to be the key to connect with you know the world around you and that which is greater than you um so there's a really inextricable connection between trauma and spirituality um and you know whether we're talking about it in the form of regulating the physiological stress response or you know helping give a, a child or a teacher skills to regulate their own stress response in, in a way that then they, they can be empowered to achieve their own hopes dreams and goals like that very same thing it involves connecting to your own internal state of being right mm-hmm whether we're talking about physiological stress response, but that's also the place 
it's in like it's an inside job, right? It Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If you're getting to the top of that hierarchy of you know self-actualization, that's in the more um, uh, lay person or mundane sense. You know, you could talk about oh, I'm self-actualized to achieve my career goals, right? Yeah. But yeah. that's mundane, and so yes, we in the secular way, that's what we're going for in schools. But it's that very same thing um, that we're connecting to all the uh, infinite facets of ourselves, right? Yeah, because yeah. we're not separate individuals. Again, we're inseparable from the world around us and ultimately spirit. So, yeah, yeah I mean, in the there's like a Headspace app on, or a Headspace like series on Netflix and in the one of the final videos he talks about like how really we're our, our minds are very powerful and that we're able to it really the limit is our imagination and and so I love how what you're talking about is like this maybe a secular approach yes because like you know school and religion don't necessarily match um or, or necessarily integrate as as well as we might like but but a secular approach to like kind of empowering that imagination and grounding it into a spiritual self-practice, I think is really important um, for being able to heal trauma for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in the school space, we can give a kid that potential, right? We can mm -hmm. give them that, um, that connection with their own heart and mind and imagination and creativity that ultimately will it's like planting the seed for whatever they choose to do with it later. Uh, but it's yeah. just helping to plant that seed to connect them with, you know, that, yeah, that infinite potential. And, um, you know, I, I love HeartMath Institute amongst others as well as some things you've referenced as well, but um, tapping into that electric electromagnetic energy of the heart and that heart mind connection and that heart mind body connection which again is like is that seed that can um you know that can tie into spirituality and yeah I, trauma healing is can be a deeply spiritual thing i you know i every day you know for a long time, my spiritual life was very separate from my work life, but every day more and more, I feel nourished that I, I am um, satisfying my, my spiritual hunger in sure, my day-to-day sure. work. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense that there are all these factors in human wellness that have been kind of like, just kind of gone over the heads, you know, just like, well, I didn't think it was important. But the they, workplace, they are. like the workplace forever in America, I guess, um, mm -hmm. you know, check it at the door. When you walk in mm -hmm. these work doors and you punch that clock, you're not a person anymore. You're the employee like that. You're that role. That's sure. who you are now. And, yeah. you know, I've, I've worked on different teams where it's like there's no time for personal talk at all. Like we don't want to know who you are as a person. We just want to know you as a performer and that's just not how we're made we're not made that way we are again these like interrelated 
yeah, we're not just a role. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I might have my mom hat on or my school administrator hat on, yeah. but I'm still like that which is behind beyond all the roles. And well, I guess the point being, because we can do that, like any of us can do that. I can play that role. Mm. And even to the point where I've forgotten that there's more to me than this role. But the, the point being, we are at our finest and our most brilliant when we are, you know, allowing all, all parts of ourselves to come forward um, and allowing what's like alive in the room to be here. Wow. Wow. That's, that's really good. I think that's a good, good place to wrap things up. Um, if there are any uh, school administrators or uh, other people who want to connect with you and uh, uh, participate or, you know, uh, start their own uh, section in the school, like, is there anywhere that someone like that could connect with you? Yeah, right now, I would say just on social media, you know, uh, at LinkedIn or Twitter, both are at Mary Cernobori or something like that. Um, soon, I'll get my website up and running, but I... Uh, I'm working, you know, I do lots of side consulting work, consulting, speaking, training type of work um, and a little expert witness work as well. But uh, I have not gone like official with an LLC just because I haven't had to yet, but I soon will, you know, get a website up called Whole Human Education is my okay. hope. Okay, so okay. Well, we'll keep, we'll keep our eyes open for it. <laughs> well, doctors. In the meantime, find me on uh, LinkedIn or Twitter. Okay. Okay. We'll do. We'll do. Okay. Well, it was a pleasure having you and um, for everyone listening, we will catch you on the next one.